again, everyone, and welcome to another Monday night. That means it's time for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell, and alongside, as always, our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening tonight. Good evening, Dave, and uh, I wish we had better news for uh, the Indians fans uh, over the last week, but uh, the Reds didn't fare much better. Well, yeah, you know, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air, Mark, about how offense, or rather lack of it, is probably going to be the... Uh, info of the night for this evening as both the Reds and the Indians, their offense was really anemic over the last week. Yeah, and I told you, too, as bad as the Indians have played offensively, I don't think anybody can come close to what the Reds did. Uh, two nights in a row get uh, one hit on Thursday and Friday night, uh, get shut out one night, and then they only won by one to nothing the, the, the day before against the Cubs and only had four or five hits. So, Every team goes through offensive slumbers, as it were. But uh, I'm going to talk with our guest later on about his take on what has become the black hole for the Reds, which is left field, and what he thinks the Reds can do about it, if anything. Yeah, our guest tonight is Joel Luckout from (laughs) RedReporter.com. He's going to be with us here in about 20 minutes. He'll be joining us live here this evening. Also want to let you know that if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can also send us a tweet at ohbbcohost. That's ohbbcohost. Glad to have you along this evening. As I said, Joel Luckout will be our guest in about 20 minutes. But, Mark, you know, we were talking about the offense on both squads. Now, the Indians and the Reds are currently playing. Right now I'm seeing the Indians game, and they're up 2 nothing on Kansas City after splitting with the Royals yesterday. What are the Reds doing tonight? The Reds play the Cardinals, and they have a, a tough chore against Adam Wainwright. Matt Latos and Wainwright, good pitching matchup. The Reds scored a run in the first inning. Uh, our boy Chu started off with a double. First pitch of the game came around to score on a single by Joey Votto. So the Reds are ahead one to nothing, and... Uh, with those two pitchers, who knows if any more runs are going to be scored. Mark, before we get into the offense, the pitching that the Reds are getting, the starting pitching, has just been outstanding. Yeah, I don't know where they stand <clears throat> league-wise with starting pitching, but they got to be near the top because uh, their, their pitchers are, I, I think I heard yesterday in 10 consecutive games, uh, they have gone at least... I think the statistic I heard is at least a quality start in 10 consecutive games. And there were six games in a row where they struck out 10 or more batters. Uh, That streak was broken when someone struck out only six. And then two more games in a row, the Reds struck out more than 10, including uh, Singrani yesterday. Uh, He struck out 11, and I think the the team struck out 14. So a lot of strikeouts out of that Reds rotation. And, uh, again, I'm going to talk to our, our guest today about his take on what could be a very interesting decision the Reds have to make when Johnny Cueto comes back, and he threw today for the second time, uh, experienced no injury or no pain to that injury, and he should be back in the rotation in a week or ten days, you would guess. And then what do you do with Mike Leak? Uh, he has not pitched horribly, but he has not pitched well. Uh, Sengrani is 2-0, and uh, is, <laughs> I mean, he has uh, tremendous statistics. He, he struck out, uh, I think, uh, something close to 30 and walked one or two. Uh, this guy is pitching lights out, and the Reds have to make a decision. What do you do with Leak and what do you do with Sengrani? I can't imagine. I can't imagine the Reds taking him out of the rotation. Mark, I told you what I would do about left field last week. I'd put Mike Leak out there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a bad the thought. The kid hits. The kid hits, and he's got a great arm, obviously, uh, but the Reds aren't going to do that. But uh, the, if the Reds <clears> – <throat> here's my concern about this left field situation. Uh, when Ryan Ludwig comes back, people forget 
that in the first half of the year last year, he hit 194. And he's capable of those kinds of, of numbers over an extended period of time. And if they are thinking that he's going to come back into that lineup after the All-Star break and, you know, hit 15 home runs the second half of the year and drive in 50 runs, not going to happen. And, you know, I wonder, and, and I think if there's a weakness in this Reds organization, it certainly isn't in the pitching. Uh, this team has depth uh, all the up and down, double-A, triple-A, the major leagues. They do not have depth offensively. And they don't have anybody right now. I mean, they're bringing up a Lutz today, and I think he was hitting 210 in double A, and he's being promoted. So that tells you the the dearth of hitting talent they have in the minor leagues. And uh, that's surprising with this organization because obviously they're known for their offense, but it, it, it really has changed this year with the tremendous pitching they're getting. But I, I'm anxious to see if the Reds pull the trigger on a deal before the end of the year to bring in somebody to play left field. Well, we talked about the offense right at the top of the show, Mark, and we'll get back into the pitching here in just a little bit. But I want to give a couple of stats that I thought were kind of just just showing, just evidence of, of just how much the Indians and the Reds are showing the lack of offense. Now, last week... In seven ball games, the Reds averaged just over two runs a game, and they split two one nothing games, winning one, losing the other. The Indians, on the other hand, in just five games over the week, because they had two games that were rained out, they they averaged just over three runs in five games. But that was mainly because last white last night in the second game of the doubleheader against Kansas City, they scored ten runs. All total in the five games, Mark, the, the Indians scored 17 runs total. And as I said, 10 of them came in one ball game. You just can't win. It puts too much pressure on your pitching when you're only averaging two or three runs a game, especially three runs in the American <laughs> League, two runs in the National League. You just can't win that way. Well, the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, I don't think it's any secret, you know, the Reds have a better chance of enduring those kinds of offensive nights than the Indians do. I mean, the Reds have three guys that can throw out there, Bailey, Cueto, and Latos, all of whom are capable of pitching a shutout. Not that they will or not that they should have to, but, you know, the Reds will get by with lesser offense because they've got great pitching, both in the starting rotation and the bullpen. The Indians, they don't have that kind of pitching. And what's going to happen with them if they, you know, if they don't score, if they don't score a lot of runs, they're not going to win a lot of games, and I, I'm hopeful that the Indians will, will, you know, will pull the trigger, because again, if they're looking for a lot of offensive help from that lineup, I don't see it. Now, maybe you do, uh, but I, I don't see that they have a lot of consistency up and down that lineup that's going to score 600 runs this year. Man, that's usually the the norm for a team to score. If they score 600 runs, it's a pretty good good offensive team. But uh, and I, I, a couple of years ago, somebody scored close to 800. But if you don't score six six fifty, uh, you're you're not you're not going to compete. Well, I'm just hoping that with the return of Michael Bourne, and the status of him right now is he had the stitches removed from his index finger last Thursday. He started hitting off a tee yesterday. Continued on that today. Everything looks pretty good. He's probably going to begin a minor league assignment coming up on Wednesday, which means he's going to miss Philadelphia. Uh, he won't play against them on tomorrow night or Wednesday, but he'll probably be back, I would guess, maybe Saturday for the Indians and be back in that leadoff spot, which is where they really need him because he's really the table setter, Mark, for the Indians. If you put him back in that leadoff spot, you, don't, you can move Brantley down in the batting order, and that puts everybody back where they should be. They tried Stubbs there for one game, and it didn't work. Matter of fact, let's go to the Drew Stubbs watch. <laughs> He's hitting two twenty-five. That's his overall season batting average, a three hundred on-base percentage. In 71 at-bats, Mark, he's got 16 hits, 3 doubles, 8 walks, 25 strikeouts, 3 stolen bases, but the key stat for this week is this. He had only two hits this week and five strikeouts. And he thinks that his new swing is paying dividends. 
Well, <laughs> you and I have talked about this all winter and through the spring training. And, you know, you really can't – the numbers on the back of the baseball card don't lie. I've never seen a sport where so few changes take place over the course of a player's career as baseball. And, and Drew Stubbs is never going to hit 270. Uh, if, as we said last week, if you can get 250 out of Drew Stubbs, let him steal you 40 bases. He plays good defense. Uh, it's certainly you know worth having him in the lineup. But he has every possibility. He has every likelihood that he's going to hit 210 to 215. And that's where you get in trouble because you, your on-base percentage is around 300. And, you know, that, that's, that's not helping your team. And you can't have a corner, in, a corner outfielder, I should say, in the American League especially, hitting 220, 225, and 10 to 12 homers and 60 RBIs. You're just not going to be able to do that in the American League. And that's, that's pretty much where Stubbs is going to be. Yeah, I mean, the, everybody knows the American League is the offensive league. And they, they try to pummel you over there because they have nine hitters hitting. So you've got to outscore the other team. So if you have somebody like Stubbs hitting, he's not as good a hitter as Mike Leake. And I'm not being facetious. Mike Leake can hit. you got to see his swing. When you see him on a regular basis, he swings like an everyday player. His swing is much better, much better than Drew Stubbs. He doesn't have the power, perhaps, although he did hit, I think, two or three home runs last year. But he's got like 50, 60 hits over the last three years, just as a pitcher. So you're right. I mean, Drew Stubbs is a luxury you can't afford in the American League. You could actually maybe, you know, in the National League where they it's more of a pitching dominated uh, offense, maybe a little different. But uh, I think the Indians fans are are in for some frustrating summer nights uh, seeing him strike out because. It seemed to me last year he got up to a pretty good start as well. And by July or August, he was striking out three and four times <clears throat> consistently and two times almost every game. I mean, he was struck out twice in a game for, for ten days in a row. Mark, it, I saw him last uh, Tuesday or Wednesday night. I, I don't remember which game, but it was against the White Sox. Mark, he stood there and he watched three pitches go right down the heart of the plate and never took the bat off of his shoulder. Oh, that to me that was even more frustrating to me <clears throat> last year and the year before than his swinging and missing. I mean, he would take, as you said, three pitches right down the middle, and it, it's he's like a college hitter, and uh, I, I don't want to wear him out, but it, it, it's it's so frustrating that somebody with that kind of talent won't shorten up their swing, won't choke up on the bat. I mean, if I had his speed. Imagine if he learned to switch hit. It's probably too late now, but what was he thinking coming up through high school and college? You switch hit with his speed, learn how to bunt, the guy would have been a perennial all-star. But he, he, he felt himself to be a home run hitter. That's what he wanted to be. And he is no routine infield out. You get some guys that are routine infield outs, you know, a grounder to shortstop, and it's an automatic out of first base. This kid's not. He, he almost beats out everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, he hits a ground ball to short, and it's going to be a close play, and that's hitting from the right side. Imagine if he was a left-hand hitter and slapping the ball the other way. I mean, he, right. he, he would hit 360, 370. Yeah, I, and, and it, it's, it's amazing. And I think the problem that the Indians are going to run into, which is where the Reds have the advantage over the Indians, is that if the... Reds wanted to go after a left fielder. They've got the talent in their minor leagues, and like you said, they've got Leak, they've got Bronson Arroyo that they could deal to get a, a left fielder if they need to. The Indians, on the other hand, they don't have that depth in the minor leagues. They're going to have to take somebody off the major league roster, somebody like, and this is not a rumor, this is just me thinking about it, but somebody like uh, Asdrubal Cabrera, and and as I'm talking about this, Mark, Drew Stubbs just tried to bunt, and it was like a line drive to first base, and he was out. But getting back to that, and as Drupal Cabrera, where they could put Avila's 
at shortstop for the rest of the year because in a couple of years, Francisco Lindor is going to be up. We'll talk more about Lindor next week when Tony Lastoria from Tribe Prospect Insider is going to be our guest on the show next Monday night. But that's something that I can see them possibly doing is getting rid of Cabrera. You and I have discussed this. The Yankees might be interested in him. You know, you could look at you could look at several different teams that might be interested in him, especially even right now, Toronto with Reyes out or St. Louis could be interested in him as they were in the winter. Yeah, that's what scares me. I hate to see him go to the Cardinals. Well, I know there was a deal that they had in place with the Cardinals last last winter, uh, where they were going to get a couple of pitchers, and the Indians held out and wanted Matt Carpenter. And they were going to put Matt Carpenter. Now, had they made that deal, Mark, who knows? They may not have made the Shinsu Chu trade. They may not have gone out and gotten Drew Stubbs because that was all prior to what happened. They would probably <clears throat> wouldn't even have Michael Bourne. So some things are blessings in disguise. Speaking of Chu... I think uh, Cincinnati fans, at least uh, three weeks into the season, or I guess four weeks into the season now, uh, owe a debt of gratitude to the Indians uh, for for what he's done so far. Now, again, it's a long season. This guy leads the the league in about every statistic except home runs and RBIs. He on base percentage, uh, his slugging percentage, his batting average, and uh, he's he's done everything that the Reds have helped. I, I think his his on-base percentage is close to 550, which is unheard of. It's obviously not going to stay there all this year. But he, he could have an on-base percentage in the high 390s, uh, you know, 400. That would be unbelievable. And what's going to happen, he's going to put a lot of pressure on the Reds because he has a one-year contract with Cincinnati. Now, if you are Bob Castellini, are you going to resign him? Yeah, I would. I really would. I I don't think I think I'd get him into a into a three or four year deal, and I would uh, you know try to get him locked in. I know last year when he was with the Indians, they were saying that an eight or nine million dollar contract, ten for sure, would get him. For how long? Can the Reds afford that? How many years? Uh, back then, they were talking. Uh, I mean, with the Indians, they were talking a four-year deal. So forty million dollars over over, over uh, four years. Yes. How old is he? He is thirty-one. Well, I tell you what, I would do, and it's not my money, but if it was me, I would sign him and put him in left field, and then go get myself either Billy Hamilton in the center or another center fielder. Well, you've only got one year left of Ludwig after this year at seven million. So really, you're getting Shinsu Chu at just three million dollars more. If you sign him at ten million a year, you're only getting him for three million dollars more than what you got Ryan Ludwig at. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a market for Ludwig or not. There might be in the American League, uh, but Chu is so much better than Ludwig. You know, it's not even funny. But <clears throat> the, the Reds that they need another outfielder. Oh, they, they, well, the Indians are the same way. Mark, I've got to ask you this question. Um, Jay Bruce was de- dropped to number six in the order. I believe it was Saturday night. It might have been yesterday that I read. Is he still there tonight, and how has he taken that demotion? No, he's sitting fifth again tonight. And uh, In fact, he's, he just came around to third on a double by Todd Frazier. Uh, Frazier's hitting sixth again. So, you know, that, that's worked out so far for the Reds. But, you know, I think fans have to accept the fact that Jay Bruce is never going to be the, the, the hitter that we all hoped he was going to be. He's a guy who's going to hit 250 to 260 in a normal year, hit you 35 home runs, drive in 90 runs. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but he, he, he is not a superstar at this point in his career. And... It, you know, he's only 25 years old, so he's got a lot of time to develop. But his numbers right now indicate that he's going to be a really solid fifth or sixth hitter in your on your on your team. But you can't build your offense around a guy who strikes out as often as he does and is so inconsistent. He, if he's hot, you don't want anybody else at the plate. But he can go a month, as he's done the first month this year. He's had one home run. 
this month. And he may, you know, he may hit nine home runs next month. I don't know. But it seems to me the way they're pitching him, uh, they're pitching everything outside, the breaking balls in the outside corner, and he does not have the kind of opposite field power that Joey Votto does. If they, if they pitch Votto outside, he'll take you deep to left center, hit it 400 feet. Uh, Bruce can't do that. So they put Bruce back at the, the number five spot, and what was their reasoning for dropping him to number six and then moving him right back? Oh, uh, that's Dusty Baker. Uh, you know, he plays with the lineup based on the pitching they're going to see, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But uh, when you've got Xavier Paul now as your starting left fielder, uh, they disabled <clears throat> Chris Heisey today, and that's addition by subtraction. I mean, he was hitting 150 or 160, only has two home runs, uh, has not played well at all, and this is the second or third year he's had an opportunity because of injury to step into that left field position and take it, and he can't. He, he doesn't have the kind of swing that's consistent, uh, and he's, he, he's one of the biggest disappointments I've seen on the Reds the last two or three years just because you pull for the guy, you like him, he hustles, but he cannot take advantage of an opportunity like he should. Well, uh, let's continue talking about the Reds, and let's bring into our Ohio Baseball Weekly microphones Joel Luckhout from RedsReporter.com. And, uh, Joel, I'm Dave Mitchell, Mark Donahue alongside. Nice to have you along tonight, Joel. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Great, Joel. Well, Glad to have you here. It's great. It's great to be on a Monday night, be watching baseball and talking baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially with a lead, you know. That, that's that's right. The Indians have got the lead too, so I mean, that, it's hard to believe that both teams have the same lead on the same night, and that's saying something about the Indians. But hey, we're going to talk about the Reds, and you know, Joel, I, I looked at your website earlier today, part of the SB Nation, and of course, one of the things that Mark wanted to bring up to you is the fact about the left field turmoil that's going on with the Reds, and lo and behold, right there's an article on your blog site about the left field turmoil with the Cincinnati Reds. So tell us, what what's your opinion? What are the Reds going to do about that hole in left? You know what? I think it's probably just going to keep being a hole. Uh, there's not a whole lot that they can do. There's not, you know, until we get around the trade deadline and teams are starting to shop around uh, potential free agent, you know, mm -hmm. uh, stopgap type of players. I Personally, I am not counting on Ryan Ludwig helping the Reds at all this year. Um, you know, guys his age with injuries like he's had, he may come back, he may play some games, but I think he's going to remind us a lot of Scott Rowland in the last couple of years, a guy that's not going to be able to hit a fastball anymore, at least not not right away. You can't expect somebody to come back from that type of injury and be able to perform at the level that you really need him to perform at. Um, and so unless they can find somebody on the trade market who is going to, you know, to help out somebody like uh, a name like Mike Morris has been bandied about, I've seen, um, as a potential trade partner eventually. Uh, unless you can find somebody like that uh, popping up during the trade uh, trade season, I I really don't think the Reds are going to be able to do a whole lot to fix the, the left field issue right now. You know, Joe, this is Mark Donahue. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, I, I agree with you 100% uh, with Ludwig. I, I, even if he comes back, they said, I didn't hear the interview during the game today because we were on the air, but uh, even if he came back right after the All-Star break, he's going to need some rehabs. And if you recall last year, as I mentioned earlier tonight, the first half of last year, uh, he was hitting in the 190s. And that's you know, that's not going to help this team. Right, exactly. And, you know, I mean, it, maybe they'll get lucky. Maybe he'll come back and, and, you know, be reasonably healthy and give you at least a little bit of production. But if they're, you know, if they're going to plan on something like that, it's a faulty plan. <clears throat> you know, you, you, it, you just kind of have to lower your expectations on something like that to the point that um, that it's not, you know, if a better opportunity comes along, you take advantage of it. And the thing, the thing that you can always keep in mind, too, is that they don't have to just get a left fielder. They could potentially get a center fielder, somebody who could, uh, you know, fill that center field spot and move Sin Chu Chu over to, um, over to left field then, too. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a plan, too, that uh, I think might make sense. And I'm sure they're hoping that Hamilton will 
be able to fill that role next year, but he's off to a pretty slow start in, in, in AAA. So I'm not convinced offensively he's going to be the answer either. Which, right. you know, a, c- a couple other questions I have, Joel. You, you've studied the Reds uh, certainly as much or more than I do. Uh, what's surprising to me is how weak offensively this organization is in the minor leagues. Uh, this team. Well, this well like, that kind of stuff always goes in cycles, I think. You know, yeah. and they're they're a little heavier in pitching now than they used to be. But you know, outside of um, you know outside of Bailey and Cueto, you know this this last crop of minor leaguers was very offensive heavy. Um, you know, all the way you know obviously Votto and Bruce, but you know even even in their their mid tier <laughs> players, you know guys like Frazier and uh, you know Heisey uh, had that potential as well as Stubbs. You know they had that potential. But their their big potential guys were all offensive players. It's kind of flip flop now. So they have some offensive potential, but it's you know down in the low minor leagues right now. And you know they just kind of hope that it cycles its its way through uh, to the top when they need it. Obviously, it'd be nice if they had another bat down there right now that they could go to get to play left field. But you know your your system can't always be perfect, I guess. Well, let me ask you the toughest question that's going to be bandied about here in about ten days. Uh, Johnny Cueto today announced that he threw, no pain. Uh, he's on schedule to come back, uh, maybe a, a rehab start or two uh, down in the minors. But uh, what do you do with, with Mike Leak the way Mr. Singrani is pitching? Um, well, an interesting conversation that I had today that I hadn't really thought of from an ang- you know this angle before. Um, I believe the rule is as long as a player... Um, uh, spends less than 172 days in the majors, he does not get a full year's credit, you know, towards free agency. It would not change his, uh, well obviously he's already in arbitration so it wouldn't change that clock at all, but it might buy the Reds another year before he could go into free agency. So it's something to consider, you know, it might be, you know, considered a little bit of a backhanded move by the Reds, but it could add an extra year of control on Mike Leake if they send him down to the minors, even if it's just for a, you know, 10, 15 day stint. Um, which is about how many they would have to to do. Uh, if they did that, then um, you know you have that potential where then you're buying another year of it's arbitration, but you're buying another year of control of Mike Leak. Then so that's something they have to consider when doing the you know when it comes time to make the move. Now personally, um, or you know I I would keep uh, Singrani move Leak down. I have a feeling that. You know, there's a good chance that they're going to move Singrani down simply because, um, you know, he's you know, strictly a fastball pitcher at this point in his career. It would do him some good to develop a more effective second pitch, um, and if he's able to do that, that's going to get him better longevity in the league. Because eventually, the league's going to come around. I know the deception and his uh, throwing motion is a little hard for players to pick up at this point, but eventually somebody's going to get it figured out. Somebody's going to start, you know, the book is going to start to build on him, and they're going to be able to start picking things up. So uh, it's going to, it would help him to have a second pitch and possibly even a third pitch that he can really rely on a little bit more um, so that, you know, he's not as predictable. I and saw that might, that I was going to say, and that might require him to be sent down to uh, AAA for a little bit longer. Well, you might be right, but uh, can you imagine the howl from the fans if in, in he gets two more starts and he's 4-0 and he's averaging 12 strikeouts a game, you know, per nine innings? Uh, his ERA is you know 0.50. It's going to be awfully hard to send him to Triple A. I mean, even, right? And I in, in a situation like that, I doubt that they would. But you know, if he has a couple a couple of starts where he gets rattled around a little bit, which you know isn't outside the realm of possibility, you know, he is still human. He is still going to, you know, regress a little bit to, you know, from this outstanding level that he's already put up. Um, you know, they'll they'll be able to make a case, I think. I mean, they wouldn't do it if he was – I don't think they would do it if he's lights out because it would be hard to be able to justify that kind of a move. But, um, you know, if he is, uh, you know, showing any signs of, you know, look, we'd like to have him go down and work on a few things a little bit longer. You know, and, and the other thing to remember is – you know, if it's ten days or, or you know three weeks or whatever, um, another injury could happen in the starting rotation between now and then. And then you know we may be talking about this for no reason because it could be somebody else that has to uh, the move is made on. 
Did you happen to hear the interview with Chris Chris Welsh had with him today before the game? No, I did not. This kid does not suffer a lack of confidence. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Chris. Well, Welsh, I mean, if you have that amount of success, you know, from day one in the majors, you know, you got to start to wonder whether or not the game's too easy for you. I suppose. <laughs> That's right. And Chris, Chris asked him before the game. He said. Well, are you surprised that, you know, your success, these first three starts? And I saw him two weeks ago at, at his first start uh, down in Cincinnati, and he, he, he threw a lot of pitches, but he had a lot of good stuff. And his response was, no, I've done this my whole life. I pretty much expected this. <laughs> and That's Chris pretty good. Kind of, yeah, Chris was kind of befuddled by his, his response, but the kid, uh, it bordered on being cocky, but you love that from a young kid, you know. Hey, I'm, yep, I'm yep. good, and I know I'm good. Yep, yep. Joel, you know, the the Reds have played a lot of close games. You know, splitting one nothing losses last week, the first week in the year. They had problems with the offenses. That's been going on. But overall, with the month of April coming to a close, are you happy with where the Reds are at right now? I I think you have to be. You know, it, it, sometimes once you get into the motions of the season, it's you kind of lose that perspective. But I think a lot of us before the season started, if we had said, you know, oh, they're going to have you know 15 wins, which you know they could potentially get to 15 wins here before the end of the month, if they were going to have 15 wins during the month, we'd be ecstatic based on what the schedule looked like. Now I know the Angels haven't exactly performed well as we expected. The, the Nationals maybe aren't quite the level that we expected from them. But they have, you know, a solid record going through this first month. Um, Dusty's teams are typically slow starters anyway. It's kind of been the history with him. So um, I, I personally am okay with where they're at. Now, granted, I'd like to see a little bit more out of the offense. I'd like to see guys like Zach Cozart uh, hit a little bit, or I'd like to see Jay Bruce's power come back a little bit more. Um, you know that kind of stuff, but overall, given where they are at in the in the season, yeah, I'm I'm fine with where they are. I'd be more concerned if they were, you know, five and twenty or whatever it is, or you know, even even if they're even a little more closer to five hundred than they are, or, or a little below five hundred, I'd be concerned. But at this point, uh, you just got to be happy with a winning record. If they win, have a winning record every month, I think they'll do all right. You know, when you look at the beginning of the year uh, and after that injury to Ludwig uh, set the table, if you if you went into that year saying we're going to lose our number four hitter, not going to play a game for the first half of the year, lose your starting pitcher, your backup left fielder is hitting 150, your number one left-hander, Sean Marshall, out of the bullpen isn't going to pitch, your starting catcher is on the DL. To be where they are right now, <laughs> it's it's kind of amazing when you think about their schedule on top of all that. So I, I think you're right, Joel. I, I think uh, every Reds fan reasonably ought to be pretty happy where they are. Yeah, and and you know, it, it's if if anything, it kind of teaches us that you know 2013 is not 2012. When I mean, 2012, and outside of the Votto injury, which uh, they somehow overcame even better um, than they had been previously. Um, we we've seen already that you know injuries are going to be a factor this season, um, and you kind of have to work around that. And the Reds, have, I think, have done a pretty good job. They're going to have these moments, you know, games like where they get one hit, um, that kind of stuff. They're going to have those kind of moments during the season, but uh, you kind of have to always remember that the big picture is really what matters. They're playing 162 games. They're not playing, you know, this a three game series right now um and you know like they are against the cardinals say and if they lose two out of three to the cardinals it doesn't mean gloom and doom you gotta kind of keep your eye on the big picture and and worry about that more i think joel just a couple more questions joel luck up our guest from redreporter.com on behalf of all indian fans we're going to just say a big you're welcome for sending you shinsu chu <laughs> has has he been uh a little better than you anticipated, or just about what you thought he was going to be? Oh well, I mean, looking at his numbers now, obviously he's been better than we could have expected. Um, but you know, obviously guys go through these kinds of stretches where they play out of their minds, um, and he's probably going to have a stretch where he you know his he's 
on-base percentage is below 300 for a week or two or something like that. Um, but, yeah, overall, uh, you, you have to be ecstatic as a Reds fan of what they've got out of Shin Chu. I mean, he's just um, – he's a as Chris Welsh likes to say, he's a ball player, and you have to appreciate that about him. And, and you know, being a, stat, a statistician-type guy as I am, I, I don't tend to, uh, you know, fall for that kind of lingo, but it really applies to somebody like him. He always seems to give you a solid at-bat, even when, you know, maybe he makes an out. He doesn't go up there just kind of hacking away. He uh, he seems to have a method to what he's doing. And, you know, a lot of times that's been leading to good results. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm ecstatic. I think his uh, center field defense is good enough. Obviously, I think Drew Stubbs is a much better defensive center fielder, but I think uh, Chu holds his own. Um, and you know, I, I'm I couldn't be happier with what I've seen from him. And I thought he was a great player when he was in Cleveland. So you know, he's even better now than I expected him to be. Uh, on that side, sign him. Yeah, I was going to ask. Right. Do you think? Um, the the problem is is he's a Scott Boris client and Scott Boris mm-hmm. rarely lets his his clients not reach free agency and I think the only way the Reds would have a chance to sign somebody like him is if they could sign him before he hit the market because once he's once they're competing for uh, his services on the market I don't think they can afford him uh, not with the with the contracts that they've got coming on I think he, I think it would be wonderful if he could be the left fielder for the next five seasons. But I think he's probably going to get seven years, and I don't know if I would sign him for seven years either. So. Wasn't Bourne a, a Boris client too? Uh, yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. Look, look what happened to that. Right. Exactly, and and it could happen to Chew as well. I mean, uh, you know, I think Kyle Loesch is a Boris Boris client as well, and yes. it took him a long time to sign. So, yeah, I mean, it it could backfire on Chew, but. Um, you know, if he puts up a, a 400 on base percentage this year, uh, he his services will be in high demand, I think, because you know, as good as Michael Bourne has been, uh, his game is all built on speed, and nobody wants to sign a, a 30 plus outfielder whose game is built on speed to a big contract because that's just you know, sorry to say this, uh, Indians fans, but that's that's one of those high risk things that you know, if his legs give out any time in the next couple of years, he's not going to be a very as effective of a, of a of a player as what you're paying for, whereas with Chu, his skill is more by, based on his approach and his batting eye and that kind of stuff, which tends to age a little bit better. Well, it wasn't it wasn't Bourne's legs, Joel. It was his finger. <laughs> well, sure. Put him, yeah, put him on the DL this time. But yeah, I know I know what you're saying. Boy, the Indians uh, they they sure could could use him back. Would you uh, would you trade uh, Chu for Stubbs even up now? Oh, absolutely! I would. I've changed it. I I do that trade uh, ten times out of ten chances. And you know, I I supported Drew Stubbs. I thought he could have been better than he was. Um, but you know, Chu gives the Reds what they needed, which is they needed somebody who could get on base that wasn't just Joey Votto. And so, and then all, that also gives their lineup a little more balance. They were a right-handed heavy lineup, and in particular, their right-handers have been awful against right-handed pitching over the last couple of years. And so, they needed more support against right-handed pitching. And so, this you know having Chu in their lineup really helps out with that. Hey Joe, what, one last question uh, about: uh, Do you think uh, Chris Heisey has run out of chances? Uh, I think he's really hurt himself this time. The thing is, for me, is Chris Heisey offensively is a lot like Drew Stubbs, and I've always felt that way, that they're kind of, you know, they have these big swings, uh, they can hit a fastball pretty well as long as they can make contact with it. And, uh, you know, I've never been a huge believer in Chris Heisey. I've always felt like he was a fourth outfielder, um, if that. And... uh, you know the way he's played so far this year, he really has not helped himself one one bit. And I, I have a hard time believing if Xavier Paul plays well over this next couple of weeks, that Chris Heisey's going to have anything more than a, a spot start here or there uh, for for a long time at least. Joel, we had uh, Trent Rosencrantz on a couple of weeks ago, and when you see him again, let him know that he should probably pay you half of his salary because. Every time I see him on Twitter, he's retweeting something that you've said. Yeah, yeah. Well, he and I, uh, we joke around a lot when in the uh, in the media dining room. So uh, it's okay. I, I let him get by with it. I, I guess. <laughs> hey, Joel. Thanks a lot for being with us. We'll we'll talk to you down the road. Okay. Thank you very much. 
All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Joel. Mm. Joel Luckout from RedReporter.com for being our guest tonight. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what, Mark, um, he's got a lot of things to say about the Reds. And we're going to be back and talk more with Mark, and we'll do that right after this timeout. Here's Dylan Michael with two on and two out. Here's the pitch. Michael swings, and there's a drive to deep left field, and that ball is gone. A three-run home run by Dylan Michael. With that shot, Michael now takes the lead lead in home runs in RBI. Last year's Rookie of the Year is having an even better year this season. Last at bat. A novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also order and buy your copy on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Just go on and go ahead and order it. Mark, um, real quick, you know, I was watching the Reds the other day, and i got to ask you this question about your book. Who did you uh, portray the Dylan Michael character after? Was it Joey Votto? Not necessarily. Uh, it was a Joey Votto-type player in my head. Uh, but it wasn't Joey Votto. It was it was an amalgamation of you know players I've known uh, over the years, and it, uh, it the the story really revolved around a comeback story, and I, I used baseball as a mechanism to do that. So it's uh, you know it worked out pretty well. You know, one thing I I wanted to get into it a little bit with Joel, but time just kept us from doing it. You know, there when you look at ace pitchers out there, Mark. Um, they all have this air about them, a, a Steven Strasburg, uh, Tim Hudson. You know, you look at, at Matt Kane over in San Francisco or at Clayton Kershaw. Boy, when I saw Singrani pitch, not so much the stuff that he had, but just the air that he portrays on the mound, he's got a look of an ace. Yeah, he does. Somebody today on, on one of the, uh, if it was a blog or a, a ESPN or some, someplace, uh, they were comparing him to Clayton Kershaw. Uh, not just because he's a left-hander, but he's a big left-hander. They both throw hard. Uh, they're both cocky as the Dickens. And I remember a conversation I had with a bunch of guys, uh, several former major leaguers sitting on the bench, Rich and I who played for the Cubs, and Jose Cardinal, and some other guys that were on our team. And we got to talking about the personalities of guys on a roster and how the personalities differ Pitchers are different. They're different personalities, different psyches, different mental approaches to the game. They're out there, but you very seldom see a hothead pitcher. I have seen some, but it's a much more cerebral game when you're pitching as opposed to playing every day. It's And pitchers are just are different folks, and Singrani is certainly different. And I, I wish some of our fans, if they were to hear that interview today, uh, he's, he's, pretty, uh, he's a pretty cocky kid. Nothing wrong with that, uh, but you, you seldom hear position players talk like he talks. So your point is well taken. Uh, some of these guys who are the number one and number two pitchers on the staff, you can, you can tell that. Just be just wa- watching them walk onto the field, not even know what position they played. Well, Sangrani also. What a lot of people don't know is that he became the fifth Reds pitcher in his last outing to strike out four batters in an inning. That's not an easy thing to do, Mark. <laughs> he, he he struck out Denard Span, who reached first base when the ball got by Corky Miller, the catcher, in the fourth. Then he followed by striking out Bryce Harper, Ian Desmond and Adam LaRoche. So he got four Ks in one inning out of his 11. This would be an interesting trivia question. Uh, what happens if he had pitched a perfect game, nobody had reached base except on the strikeout? I mean, that's an error on the catcher to be sure. But it's possible you could face uh, 27 batters and retire 27, get 27 outs, but because of a double play... You know, you don't get the perfect game. Yeah, yeah, you don't get the perfect game because that that goes down as an error. Now, the other pitchers, can you name the other pitchers that did it, Mark? Uh, Tim Burtzis. That's uh, one. Joe Nuxaw. 
the old left-hander, rounding third and heading for home. In 1959, and we see um, Hernandez, Fernandez, Rodriguez, Rodriguez, Frankie Rodriguez. I remember him. He wasn't very good, but he one, struck out for <laughs> one more. I thought there very was only well-known pitcher for the Reds. Mario Soto. Oh, Mario Soto. Right. 1984. Mar- yeah. 1984. Mario Soto. Hey, Sean Marshall was uh, put on the active roster again, and Manny Parra is on the disabled list. I, I think the way Manny Parra was getting hit around, he needs a little rest. Yeah, and it's amazing. I've heard so many guys talk about his stuff and how good it is. Uh, you know, he was a starting pitcher at one time, and he may be the kind of guy that is not going to thrive in the bullpen. And you know, he's throwing 94, 95 miles an hour the other day and with a great big breaking ball, and you wonder how he gets hit. But he got pounded. He was yeah. he was hit pretty hard all, all, all year. So, you know, we were talking about the injuries to the Reds. And when you get Cueto back, uh, you got Marshall back, you got Hannigan coming back probably. He won't be out much longer. Uh, the, the only spot where the Reds need help is left field. And we talked about it with, with Joel earlier. Uh, I, I just don't think the Reds are going to lose an opportunity to win this year because of a, a lack of a left fielder. They have too much talent. Uh, I think the Cincinnati Reds, and it's not because I'm a fan, but when you look at their, their pitching staff, their top 12 pitchers, I don't know what staff you would trade even up for that staff. Yeah, I, I would have a tough time. I, that That's really a, a tough question. I mean, if you're going to look at something like that, Mark, you've got you've to really – delve into the pitching staffs of what's going on. Hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment. Uh, Every week we field questions from our listeners, and uh, tonight we've got two questions on the Indians, two questions on the Reds. You can send us in your questions every week at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can also just send us a tweet with your questions at altsportstalk or at OHBB co-host. Our first question tonight comes from Jay Sun, and he asks about the Reds. Mark, he says, uh, with Hernandez or Hannigan out, uh, Devin Mezzarocco should be getting a lot of playing time, but he's not. What's the problem? Oh, I think he's getting an, uh, a lot of playing time. I mean, they they catch Corky Miller. Uh, you have to understand that it's tough for a catcher to catch more than four or five games in a row without a break, um, even if you're a young stud like Mesoraco. But he's getting his fair share, and uh, that's right now that's a black hole for the Reds, too. I mean, uh, the, the catching, no one's hitting. I bet the combined batting average is well under 150 for, for all the catchers. And uh, th- there's no power there. You have no power in left field. Uh, Jay Bruce has hit only one home run. Uh, they were... The reason they're winning mainly is because uh, Brandon Phillips leads the league in RBIs. And he's he's the guy who's turned it up and picked up the ball. But look at Cozart. He's hitting 210. Look at Todd Frazier. He's hitting 240. The, the Reds are doing it strictly with pitching, and I can't emphasize enough the need to have another bat in that lineup. Well, Kelly L. writes in tonight and says that with Drew Stubbs going back to the way he played with Cincinnati and Ryan Rayburn playing some good baseball, could it be possible that Rayburn becomes the everyday right fielder and Stubbs the odd man out? Kelly, I would agree with you, especially tonight. Uh, actually, Mark, you know, while we were doing the interview with Joel Luckow, uh, the Indians bounced out to an 8 nothing lead over Kansas City, and Ryan Rayburn hit a three-run homer. He's playing right field tonight. And... Uh, you know, the way that this kid has played, he came up with Detroit four years ago and was a very big prospect, a highly touted prospect for the Tigers, but he kept running into injury problems. Uh, he was a second baseman. Uh, what the Indians have done, the Tigers finally let him go. The Indians picked him up, invited him to spring training, and he's hit the ball ever since the beginning of spring training began, and he's continuing it here in the uh, early season, and I'll tell you what, Drew Stubbs, if he doesn't get his act together, when uh, Michael Bourne comes back, Mark, 
we're looking at a situation where Bourne could be put back at center field, and, and maybe maybe Ryan Rayburn is the answer for the Indians in right. You know, when you hit 213 like Stubbs did last year, there aren't many players who aren't better than you offensively. I mean, he, he had the lowest batting average of any regular player in all of baseball. So you could draw some offensive players out of the hat, and they're going to hit better than better than him. His contribution to the team has to be on defense and on the base paths because it's not going to be offensively. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen to Drew Stubbs, but unfortunately a lot of players with, with talent like his simply have never figured it out. And they end up, uh, you know, selling insurance uh, when they're 30 years old. Yeah, and that that's the tough that's the tough thing about it. Uh Monty asks us the Reds question this week. Just how much longer is Dusty going to give Chris Heisey the opportunity to play left field? Dusty always seems to find a favorite player and continue to play him no matter what. Well, if I could just interject here, Mark, uh, you know, Heisey's on the DL now, so he's going to have to go to another person to play left field, but before that, uh, Monty's got a pretty good point. Yeah, Monty's right, uh, and I, and I think that uh, even before the injury, I think the, the the bloom was off the rose, as it were, as it relates to Chris Heisey. Uh, he has so many problems with his swing that uh, pitchers have him figured out. There, there's a book on him right now, and unless these hitters make adjustments to the adjustments that the pitchers make, the it's over for them. If you remember two years ago, Chris Heisey hit 18 home runs, hit 275, 280, uh, because they they kept trying to throw bas- fastballs inside to him, and he was yanking everything out of the ballpark. They they figured that part out, and he, he, he can hit a fastball, but he never sees a fastball, at least a fastball that's a strike. Well, our final question tonight on our Ask Us segment comes from Paul S., and I think this is a very apropos question because this is something that I wanted to discuss on tonight's show, too. He says, last night the Indians played the second game of a day-night doubleheader against Kansas City in Kansas City, and the game was not televised. What was the problem and why not? Uh, Very simply, Paul, the problem was is that ESPN has the exclusive Sunday night rights to Major League Baseball. So from what I understand, the Cleveland flagship station on TV, Sports Time Ohio, and the Fox Sports station for Kansas City both asked ESPN permission to broadcast, televise the ball game. Uh, ESPN said no. They would not allow it. Um, because of that, I boycotted the Tigers-Braves game last night. I decided I was not going to watch baseball on ESPN, and I listened to the Indians game, which was a 10-3 to win over the Indians. Mark, I don't understand why ESPN, you know, they, I know they've got a big contract with Major League Baseball. I know they wanted the exclusive rights to Sunday night, but Major League Baseball is going to have to do something here. If they're going to play day-night doubleheaders, and they're going to schedule a doubleheader on Sunday, why are they, if they know that ESPN has the exclusive rights on Sunday night, why are they scheduling another game opposite it? I can't answer it. And, and with all the Internet accessibility of the games, and now with, with uh, hearing most of the games on radio, you would think the logic would be you want as many people in the world watching your broadcast because of sponsorship. People, you can sell that airtime for more money. So I don't know why you want to limit people and put blackouts in there because it makes no sense unless you're in the city. I can understand where, you know, within 25 miles of Cincinnati, okay, you don't want to sell out. You want to sell out your game, so you don't want people watching on TV. But I couldn't agree with you more. That it just doesn't make any sense. Well, another question I've got too, Mark. I'm not sure what television system you've got down there. I have I have Dish Network, and for some reason up here, not only do I get Sports Time Ohio and Fox Sports Ohio out of Cleveland, but I also get Pittsburgh on Fox. 
so I can watch Pittsburgh games if I if I was able to. I could watch Pirate games. I can watch uh, Reds games, and I can watch Indians games. But because of Major League Baseball's blackout rules, I'm not allowed to see the Pirates or the Reds play in this area, even if the Indians aren't playing. I don't understand what Major League Baseball's blackout rules. Could somebody explain that to me? Do you know what it is, Mark, what their blackout rules are? I mean, if the Indians aren't playing that day and the Reds are, why am I being blacked out of a Reds game? I have no idea. That's one of those things that uh, it's like the blackout rules in pro football. I don't get them either. Well, I understand the blackout rules in pro football more than I do baseball because as long as you're, if the game's sold out, everybody can watch it. If it's not sold out, there's a 75-mile radius from the center, the 50-yard line of that stadium. So in Cleveland, it would go out over Lake Erie and near Toledo and, and down near me. But in Major League Baseball, it doesn't matter if you've got a sellout or what. I don't understand what their blackout rules are because the other day the Indians didn't have a game. It was Thursday night. The Reds were playing in Washington. I wanted to watch the Reds in Washington, and the only way I could watch it is if ESPN had it on or the Major League Baseball Network. But Fox Sports, I'm not allowed to see any of the Pirate games or the Reds games no matter what. And I just don't understand baseball's blackout rules. I, I would love somebody to write in and tell me what they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got me beat. I, I don't understand them either. But I, I've got a bigger gripe. As I mentioned, we went to the Reds game the other night. Now, we, we had, friends of ours had tickets and we got we got in free. So I went up and I, I, bought, I bought a couple of hot dogs, two beers, a pretzel, and a popcorn. Guess what it cost? Uh, two beers, probably about seven bucks each. That's four. I'm going to say thirty-two dollars. Forty-eight. Holy cow! A, a soft pretzel is an example. Five, four dollars and ninety-five cents. Beers, eight fifty for a small beer. And the pop, the hot dogs were seven fifty a piece. And I was thinking about a family of four that goes to a ball game. Okay, and, and they have to pay for the tickets and pay for the parking, and you, you have a couple hungry kids, and you, you want to treat them to a nice night. You know, even if it's not a box seat with gas and everything, you're talking a couple hundred bucks to go to a baseball game. And that's that's not pushing it. And that's, that's buying no programs. That's not buying a hat. That's not buying a T-shirt or any kind of souvenir. That's just a couple hot dogs, a, a couple Cokes, popcorn, a pretzel, and, and parking and all the stuff it, that goes into it, and the 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 average family of of four spending two hundred dollars to go to a ball game means it's probably a one time a summer event because they're not going to go to nine or ten games and spend you know uh, two thousand dollars to go to baseball games they can't afford it. So I don't know where this leads other than that it's going to end up like football where all you have are, you know, the business types at the ball games, which is really unfortunate for football. Well, it's the same way with the NBA, too. You, you've got the same thing where uh, you, the only people that can afford to sit courtside in, in Los Angeles games are the people like Jack Nicholson who's made of money. So that's the way it is. Hey, we've got just about a couple of minutes here to go, Mark. The Reds last week, they were 3-4 and four on the week. They're 14-12 and 12 entering tonight's game, a game and a half behind Pittsburgh in the Central. What do they got coming up this week? Well, they got to finish off with St. Louis, and then they go to Chicago. <clears throat> and the, the last three games here with St. Louis, in 20 consecutive games they play, they, they're off on Thursday. Then they go to Chicago over the weekend for three, and then they come back home finally. But they come back home to Atlanta. So, you know, they, they've got their... their work cut out for them again for the next couple of weeks but the fact that they're where they are in the standings right now I, I'm pretty happy how about the Indians well, I'm actually pretty happy with the Indians right now they're four games back at Kansas City uh, they're beating Kansas City tonight they're 9-13 and 13 overall I'm not going to complain about that they're 4-6 and six in their last 10 I think they're Things are starting to come together for the tribe. They're 
playing in Kansas City tonight to round out their road trip, and then they come home. They've got a two-game set with Philadelphia at Progressive Field, and it's the return of Charlie Manuel, as who used to be the manager of the Indians and now is the manager of Philadelphia. And then they've got Thursday off, Mark, and then Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon, they're playing at home against Minnesota. So should be a pretty interesting week for both clubs. Sounds like it. It, it, it does. So we'll be talking. Next week, uh, we're going to have Tony Lastoria on here of IndiansProspectInsider.com. We're going to talk about the Indians minor league system. Should be an interesting show next week, so join us then. Thanks, Mark. We'll talk to you next week. All right, David. Have a good one. And we'll be back on Thursday night with our BBA baseball talk show here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Our guest then will be Kate Colligan-Conroy of LadyLovesPinstripes.com. We're going to be talking about the New York Yankees and all their injuries. And as I said, don't forget next week, Tony Lastoria from IndiansProspectInsider.com will be our guest with Mark and I. And you can contact us for our Ask Us segment at AskUs at UltimateSportsTalk.com and DMitch at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Join us again next Monday night at 9 o'clock. Mark and I with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, and again this Thursday night at 9 o'clock with the BBA Baseball Talk Show. Until then, for Mark Donahue and our thanks to our guest, Joel Luckhaup from RedsReporter.com, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody.